Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about the impact of radon exposure with Allison Sullivan. Allison is an environmental analyst at the Connecticut State Department of Public Health. Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgery at the Yale School of Medicine and the assistant director for global oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center. So Allison, maybe you can start off by telling us what exactly is radon? Radon is a naturally occurring radioactive gas. Sounds pretty scary, right? Um, It comes from the ground, from soil and rock, and it actually originates in uranium. And when uranium decays, it becomes radon gas that can seep into our homes. And it's the leading cause of lung cancer in non-smokers. So how does radon get into our homes? I mean, I know that people talk about testing for radon, and we're going to get into that later. But I mean, if it comes from the ground and it comes from uranium, how much of that is there really in our homes? I mean, should we be worried about this? We should. We should worry enough that we want to do a test to determine whether or not we have elevated levels of radon in our home. Basically, all homes have normal pressure differences, so it's easy for the radon gas to get drawn up into a home through these negative pressure differences, especially in the wintertime, which is when we should do our radon testing. So so the radon can kind of seep into your house due to these pressure differences, but If it comes from the ground from uranium, how much uranium is there in the state of Connecticut that that it should come into our homes? Do you know what I mean? Like it you would think, okay, if I was living near a nuclear reactor that had uranium, well, then maybe I should be more concerned. But we live in Connecticut. That's right. We do have a lot of radon potential in New England and throughout Connecticut. We have high to moderate potential zones in most of our state because we do have a lot of uranium in our geology. So to have radon gas, we need the uranium under our buildings. And the only way we can test for radon is once a building is occupied, we can do a radon test. We can't test the soil or the air beforehand. It's something that we need to test once we're in a home, we occupy any lowest uh, living area. That's where we want to do a radon test. Okay. So uranium exists in New England and so and it can seep into our homes and so we need to test for it once a building is built and presumably we need to test for it in our basements cuz you said the lowest possible point. How exactly is a radon test done? A radon test is very simple and it should be done in the lowest occupied portion of a house. So not necessarily always the basement. I think a lot of people just assume they should do the test in the basement, but only if you use the basement space for over two hours a day, like if there's a playroom or an office down there. But radon testing is very simple. Actually, in January, local health departments, most of them who partnered with my radon program at the State Department of Public Health, have free test kits to distribute 
to their community. Um, and hardware stores have radon test kits for around $30, and the American Lung Association typically has them for around $14. So it's very low cost. And as long as you can follow the directions and you wait until the winter months to do the test, you should have a very good valid test to go off of. So how complicated are the directions? Well, you need to keep all the windows closed in your home, and you want to decide on a place in your lowest occupied level, and you want to put the test in the breathing zone. So not too close to the ground or not too high up. You want to have it in an open airflow area, so not in a bookshelf. On a coffee table would be a good spot away from any animals that might get to it. There's nothing harmful in the test. Um, but it is something you want to keep away from small children or animals. And you leave the test for around three to seven days if it's a short-term test that you decide to buy or get for free from a local health department. And once you set it out, basically it's just leaving the test kit open, closing it when your test is done, and sending it to the analytical laboratory. And then within a week or so, you'll get a radon test result. Cool. That sounds easy enough. So what do you do with the result once you get it? Once you get your result, you will decide whether or not it's a level you're comfortable with, with in your home. Um, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, gives us an action level of four picocuries per liter of air. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> um, basically, at four, that's considered a high level. So anything at four picocuries per liter or more, you would want to reduce that level with a mitigation system. Even levels between two and four, you should consider mitigation depending on how you use the space, because no amount of radon is healthy, and you want to have it as close to average background as possible. So under two is really what you're shooting for in your occupied areas of your home, school, workplace, um, any building that you spend a lot of time in. And so let's say you do get a lever that's above two. What, what exactly is the mitigation like? Mitigation is simple, but it's something we don't suggest you try to do yourself, no matter how handy you are. We do have a list of qualified professionals on our Department of Public Health website. And in one day, they can install, it's called a sub-slab depressurization system, which is a mouthful. But it's basically a radon reduction system. And what it does is it's a PVC pipe with a fan attached. And it starts in your basement space from a hole. The PVC pipe starts and it runs along the outside of your home. So basically it acts as a vacuum. It sucks the radon from the source under the, your foundation and exhausts it above the roof where no one can breathe it in. So essentially you're trapping all that radon into a pipe and exhausting it above the roof instead of it accumulating in your home and, and having it be a problem for your lungs. So the pipe is installed entirely on the exterior of your home. It's not like somebody has to drill a hole through the foundation of your house. They do need to drill a hole in the basement space. Um, it's a small hole where the PVC pipe will start, and they'll usually remove about a five-gallon bucket worth of material um, from under the slab because you want to have good communication um, for that vacuum to work. So that there is going to be a hole in the foundation, one suction point typically for each home. And then they're going to take that PVC pipe with an elbow and stick it on the outside and run it along the house. And typically the fan is on the outside of the home where, you know, in case there's an issue with it, it's not going to leak into an occupied area. It's on the outside. And once you've 
figured out what this radon system is all, ab- all about, you're going to start seeing them all over. We've It's very prevalent in Connecticut. I know on my street, knowing what one looks like, there's certainly at least three on my street. Hmm. Um, and it it's you know, something that you have to test for if your neighbor has high, a high level of radon. That doesn't necessarily mean you do. It all depends on the dynamics in your home, whether you have that uranium underneath your foundation. So it's really something I suggest doing a test for and not just during a real estate transaction. Because if you've only done a radon test during a real estate transaction, typically that's done in a warmer month of the year when it should be done in the winter. And unfortunately, it's a test that can be tampered with. So you definitely want to redo a radon test after you've bought your home and you have control of the environment and it's winter time. That's when you want to do your radon test. Does the does the mitigation system that goes through with that small hole through the foundation, does that in any way kind of cause any problems with the foundation of the home? I mean, is it going to devalue your home when you go to sell it? Or in fact, is it actually going to be something that's a positive that has that your home has a radon mitigation system? It's definitely looked at as a positive because it's a problem that's been identified and is now fixed. Also, a lot of times these subslab depressurization systems can actually help moisture issues in homes too. Mm. So it is definitely an asset to have one, especially when you're thinking about um, how radon kills over 21,000 American citizens in the U.S. every year. Um, We don't want to have any sort of risk, added risk um, for lung cancer, and smokers are even at a higher risk. So it's definitely something that I suggest every Connecticut resident do a test in the wintertime after they've bought their home. How much does the, the mitigation system cost generally? It costs about $1,200, and it's something that every two to three years, if you have a mitigation system, you'd want to retest to make sure that the system's still working. It does have a visible alarm on it called a manometer, a little U-tube with liquid in it, and you can always look at that to make sure you're getting a pressure difference. So the U-shaped tube, um, if the liquid is higher on one side than the other, then you know you're getting a pressure difference. If they're equal, you know that there's a problem, and usually that's the tip-off that you'll need to replace your fan. And that happens about every 10 to 12 years, you may have to replace the fan on the system. But other than that, it's not a system that you know has to be maintained a lot. Once you install it, it runs all the time. You never shut it off. In fact, it's bad to shut it off. Um, and it's not something to worry about. Once you've put in the system, it's reducing your radon. And it's no longer a worry. And if you have to replace the fan, it's significantly less than the $1,200 of the initial cost, I'd imagine. Yes, definitely. Maybe closer to $150 to $200. So a good thing to think about, especially in Connecticut that has this medium to high prevalence of radon, um, especially because of the cancer risks that it has. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You talked a little bit about radon causing lung cancer. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? How, you know, h- how often it causes lung cancer and how bad that is? Sure. Um, why it causes lung cancer is because when radon gas decays, it lets off a pesky alpha particle. Um, as we know, the three forms of radiation being gamma, alpha, and beta. Alpha is a form of radiation that you don't want to mess with. It's like a cannonball. It's slow moving. It can't pass through a piece of paper, but it packs quite a punch. And on when you're inhaling radon gas, 
um, and that alpha is released and touches your sensitive lung tissue, it actually does damage to the DNA. And that's when it mutates and it can make an abnormal cell. And that's when you can get lung cancer over the long term. So it's definitely an easily preventable thing um, to not get rid on induced lung cancer if you've done a test and you've fixed the elevated level. Oftentimes we say you want to test, um, you want to fix, and you're going to save a life from radon induced lung cancer. Does radon cause lung cancer more frequently in younger people, so in children or in the elderly? It doesn't. The only population of people that it affects more is smokers. Smokers are definitely at a higher risk. Um, I have um, a stat that I can never quite remember, but I have it written down here. So at the EPA action level of four picocuries per liter, you remember I said that that is the action level. So anything over four is a level that you would want to fix with a reduction system. For a never smoker, um, if you have a level of four, about seven out of a thousand people could get lung cancer. Whereas a smoker, um, that number jumps to 62 out of a thousand. Wow. So it is very significant. Um, so obviously we would love it if you quit smoking um, and did your best to do that, but you can also reduce your risk by testing for radon and reducing your level should you find a high one. Perfect. Because, I mean, we know that even at baseline, even if you had radon levels that were well below two, which is normal, smokers have a way higher risk of developing lung cancer than people who don't smoke. But I guess radon just adds to that. Exactly. Perfect. Well, we are going to take a short break for a medical minute, and then we're going to come back and learn a whole lot more about the impact of radon with my guest, Allison Sullivan. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to providing innovative treatment options for people living with cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about smoking cessation. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers and operate on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Allison Sullivan. She's here from the DPH to talk about the impact of radon. And right before the break, she was telling us about how Connecticut actually has a medium to high potential of having radon in our homes and how this is one of the leading causes of lung cancer, particularly for non-smokers. So, Allison, you know, we talked a little bit um, before the break about how when you buy a home, you'll frequently get it tested uh, for radon. Um, 
often that's a requirement for getting a mortgage these days. Is that right? That's true. So residential radon testing is not a requirement in Connecticut. Um, However, most mortgage companies do require you to conduct a radon test before they will give you money to buy your home. So it's certainly something that happens a little bit more. But like we spoke about before, most real estate transactions happen in the warmer months of the year. So that's not the best time of year to do radon testing. Radon is typically highest in the wintertime when the ground is frozen, when our windows are all shut, when we're getting a really um, significant negative pressure in our homes. So you definitely want to do a test in the wintertime. Also, I mentioned briefly that radon testing can be tampered with some of these short-term devices. So you want to have control of the environment before you do this test. So Typically in a real estate transaction, you don't have that kind of control. And also you want to make sure you're testing in your lowest occupied level, which may be different once you occupy a home rather than the people who are currently in it. And I understand that while real estate transactions in general don't mandate uh, having radon testing, now new construction does. Is that right? As part of the building code, as of October 1st, 2016, it is in our Connecticut State Building Code um, for one and two family homes and townhouses that brand new buildings like uh, townhouses and homes need to be built radon resistant. And that is a very easy thing to do when a home is being built before the slab is poured. They can rough in the materials needed and it is much more cost effective and also you can most often put the system on the interior of the home instead of it running on the outside. So if you're building your dream home, you can kind of hide your radon system if you're in advance of it talking to your builder and discussing that you would like to have that roughed in and then once the home is ready for occupation, you would do a test to determine if you wanted to activate that system with a fan. So so when you say that they have to be built radon resistant, that pretty much means that no matter whether you have a radon problem or you don't have a radon problem, the builder has to put in a radon mitigation system somewhere in that home. Is that right? A passive system, yes. And it's PVC pipe, um, and it incorporates things that are already part of the building code, like putting down sheeting and gravel so you have that good communication under the slab and making sure that there's room um, for you know, the fan to be plugged in. So there's there's different things. And we do have, you know, educational materials on our website for builders to look up to determine how they're going to design this type of system. Or we always recommend that people go to qualified radon measurement and mitigation professionals for advice. So, so they rough in this system that's a passive system. So it's not necessarily a system that is turned on. Um, is it a system that automatically has a fan so that if, you know, because as you said, most real estate transactions occur during summer months, most houses get built during summer months too. Uh, So if you're buying a new home and the building code says you have to have this passive mitigation system in, um, would it be the way would it work such that, you know, that winter I get my radon test done, it's high, and I just have to flip a switch and turn it on? 
Or would it be that, oh, it's a passive system, so now I have to buy a fan and I have to get the fan installed and now I have to flip it on? You would do a test because if it's designed perfectly, which oftentimes, unfortunately, it's not because sometimes builders rough in these systems and they're not necessarily radon professionals. Um, but sometimes when done correctly, a passive system can sometimes work without a fan um, to reduce your radon. But what you would want to do is your first winter in the home, you would test if you find you have a level that you're not comfortable with. So whether it's between two and four or definitely over four and you want to fix it, um, you would activate that system with a fan. But it's something that, again, you would call a radon mitigation professional to help you install that fan and make sure that the passive system that the builder put in is, is designed properly to be able to use that roughed in PVC pipe for your reduction system. So this is all great when we talk about our homes. And I think that we now have a good understanding of how we test uh, in our home and how we can mitigate a problem if there is one. But we only spend about half the time in our homes sometimes. We spend a lot of time at work, at school. Um, what What about those places? How do I know that when I'm working in the hospital that the hospital actually did a radon test and that I'm safe? Well, I can tell you in Connecticut, we do have regulations that all public schools K through 12 are tested for radon um, and fixed when an issue is found. Um, We also, all of our daycares in Connecticut have to be tested for radon upon licensure. So they have to do a test before they can gain licensure. And if they have an issue, it needs to be addressed. And in daycares, they actually have to post their radon test result on the wall for anybody to view to make sure that it's been done. Workplaces in Connecticut are not required to be tested, but we certainly encourage Uh, buildings to be tested. Anywhere that's occupied that has lower levels. I don't know where you are at Yale, but if you're on an upper level, then it's probably not an issue for you. Radon is basically more of an issue on the lowest occupied level. So anything in contact with the ground. So we're talking basement level or first floor. Hmm. You you would think that hospitals that are so um, kind of in the mindset of public health and protecting Uh, patients would be mandated to have radon testing and mitigation. I agree. Of course, coming from the Department of Public Health, we definitely want to instill that in everybody. But in Connecticut, the only places where it has to be done is in schools and daycares. Huh. Is there any advocacy going on on that front? Not too much. It's it's hard um, with so many other worries and so many other things um, trying to convince every company or every state building to be tested. I know a lot of state buildings are tested, especially, you know, our office on Capitol Avenue, because the radon program is housed there. When we had some test kits, we certainly did some testing. Um, And Hartford is actually a low potential area. But it's certainly something that we encourage everybody to do. Unfortunately, it's only required in schools and daycares. It is a disclosure law. Also, I don't think I mentioned that for real estate transactions. So if you find an elevated level of radon, it is something you have to disclose once you sell a home. What about kids, you know, who are on college campuses? So they're living in a a college campus. They don't own this home. Can they assume that a radon test and mitigation has already been done? And if not, can they test their little dorm? They should if they should and they should they would have to speak with their landlord on if they found at high level how 
and open up the discussion of what we can do to fix it to make a healthy home because obviously we want all homes to be healthy for everyone. Um, however, the way the statute is written from the State Department of Ed, it is only public schools K through 12 that have the requirement at this time. Okay. So we talked about radon kind of in buildings, but we also said that the way that the radon gets there is from the ground and from uranium. And so if because of this pressure differential, it can seep into our homes, what's the risk for people who are outside? I mean, presumably they're in contact with the ground. Yes, there's no negative pressure differential there, Um, but are they still at risk walking around in the environment? Well, you're never going to get zero with radon, and we know there's no safe level, and ideally we want it below two. But just to give you an idea, just walking around outside, you're exposed to about a 0.3 picocurie per liter level. The average indoor um, level is typically about a 1.3, 1.4 picocurie per liter. So we do get calls to the health department of people stating they want zero, they want no radon, they want no exposure to this cancer-causing, uh, naturally occurring um, element, but unfortunately it can never be zero. You're always exposed to a little bit of it, but we want to reduce anything that's over that two picocurie per liter level. And we talked a lot about radon in air, which is where we get our primary risk for radon-induced lung cancer. But I should also talk about another source we have, and that is radon can also be in the water. Um, Certainly if if you get your water from a private well source, um, this is something that you should do a test for as well. If you have done your air first and you've found a high level and you want, you definitely want to fix it. Another avenue is if you're getting your water from a private well, you should also sample your well water for radon because it can also be in your water. It's not really ingesting the water that's the issue. It's still an off-gassing issue. So when you're showering or washing dishes, um, the, the water's agitated, radon gas can escape, and you breathe it in. So it's still sort of a radon and air issue, but a different source, not coming from soil gases. So if you get your water from a from a public system, um, most of in Connecticut, mostly we get that from a reservoir. So that's already off-gassing because it's surface water. Um, but definitely if you are served by a private well, it would behoove you to also do a radon and water test. How does one do that? Presumably it's not the same test kit. It's not. It's typically vials uh, that you would fill up with no air bubbles in it. So it's kind of a different method where you submerge the vial into water as it's coming out of the faucet. You would remove the aerator from your faucet um, to try to avoid any radon escaping before you can collect that sample. And you can certainly have a professional come out and do it if you're worried about it, uh, or you can get a test kit yourself. Um, You just want to make sure the most important thing is that there's no air bubbles within the vial. Otherwise, it won't be a valid sample. And so... If you test, I mean, the first thing to test is the air. Uh, And if you have a high level, then presumably you're going to get a mitigation system. Um, And even if you have a mitigation system, then you should still test the water. Is that right? Yes, you should, because it's two completely separate sources with two separate fixes. So you could have radon in air and radon in water, and you would need two separate systems to reduce those levels. How would you fix the radon in the water? 
Radon in water is a little bit different. Um, there's two types of systems depending on how high your level is. If you have levels um, over 5,000, that's when we suggest you mitigate. So if you have levels of radon in water, and definitely we suggest going off of two samples. So in other words, if you take one sample and you get your result, you want to confirm it with a second one and take the average of the two samples. So if your average is over 5,000, we suggest you mitigate. So levels between five and 10,000, you would put in a granular activated carbon system to reduce those levels. Anything over 10,000 picocuries per liter in the water, you would want to install an aeration system. And you can speak again to your qualified radon mitigation professional on what type of system is best for you. Um, radon in water tends to be a little bit more expensive than the radon in air. Uh, the granular activated carbon system can be around um, $3,000, whereas the aeration system is a little more money up front at $5,000, but less maintenance involved, no charcoal filters to clean out. So it's something that you would want to openly discuss with your professional that you decide to hire. But presumably this radon is getting into your water from this private well, let's say, that you have. And presumably the private well is getting the radon from the ground, which is where radon lives with the uranium and everything else that we talked about before the break. So why wouldn't it behoove us to mandate that the private well fix the problem at the source instead of having everybody who's using water from that source pay out these thousands of dollars for this mitigation system? Um, that's a good question. Um, the Environmental Protection Agency gives us the action level for radon and air at four picocuries per liter, but for water, there isn't an action level. There isn't um, a number to go off of. So with the Department of Public Health regarding radon and water, we have a guidance level, and our guidance is very protective because it's getting you as close to average background as possible. If you were to go to another state, that level could be the guidance level could be more like 10,000. Um, it's different in every state. Um, so it's very hard to have a mandated issue when there's not even an action level from the EPA to go off of. But certainly in your home, if you have radon in water, you would want to fix it with a mitigation system the same way you would want to fix the radon in air. Allison Sullivan is an environmental analyst at the Connecticut Department of Public Health. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.